Hey there, Siege listeners. Before we get into Chapter 15, I wanted to share the results of my survey and let you know something that I've put together based on some of your comments. First off, the respondents were pretty evenly split between those not minding the ads and those who ignore them and go do something else while they play. A strong majority of you said to keep the ads, they could live with them. Thanks, all of you who responded. I appreciate your input. A few of you said the ads were annoying, and I totally get that. That's why I asked. For those who really don't like the ads, I've created an ad-free alternative to give you an option. I'll explain a bit more about the ads-free version in my outro after this chapter. Right now, though, I imagine you'd like to get on with the story. So, here goes. The Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 15, Almost Home. Martin gagged and coughed. A drop of liquid went down his windpipe. He sputtered and coughed. Everything was black. Gag reflex. Tip his head back more, said a voice. It is tip back, protested a second voice. Both were women. Martin coughed and sputtered until the offending drop was expelled. His vision was blurry, but he could see bright jumping shapes of a fire. Hands moved his head. The rim of a warm cup touched his lips. His throat seized up in anticipation of another attack. He let a small amount of whatever the liquid was pool in his mouth. Oh, green tea, he thought. A little sweet. He coaxed his throat into accepting the beverage. It felt luxuriously warm going down. Hey, he's sipping on his own. He's coming too, said one of the voices. That's great, Martin. Martin, can you hear me? asked the other voice. Martin tried to respond, but couldn't pull in enough breath to speak. His chest felt tight. Everything still looked dark, except for the blurry fire. His skin, arms, and legs tingled like they had all fallen asleep, except that this tingling hurt. There was a weight across his shoulders. When he moved his head a little, it created a swish that sounded like a wool blanket, and a crinkling that sounded like mylar. Martin, hello! I hear, hear you. Muscle control for speech was difficult. He noticed he was shivering all over. Hey, excellent shivering. That's a good sign. Here, take another sip of tea. We need to get your core temperature back up. She put the cup to his lips again. Martin raised a hand as if he would hold the cup himself, but he was shivering too much. She pushed his hand away and tugged the blankets higher around his neck. No, you're not ready for the cup, she said. Maybe when the shivering subsides. Cold, Martin muttered. He tried to scoot closer to the fire. He wasn't sure if the increased radiant heat would make his pins and needles feel better or worse. No, 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 said the woman. Not too close. You need to warm up slowly and evenly, inside and out. That's why the warm tea... If your extremities warm up faster than your core, there's a risk of a drop in blood pressure. You might pass out again. Martin could see who was talking. It was Amanda. Beside her, Amber knelt near the fire, tending a pot of what he assumed was hot water. 
It was his little stainless steel camp pot. David stood beyond the flames, breaking driftwood branches into manageable pieces of firewood. Good thing you have some doctors and nurses to take care of you, huh? Amanda said cheerily. Memories rushed in of his trip across the river and falling in. If I didn't have all those doctors and nurses, I wouldn't have been in this mess, Martin stammered. Well, I suppose not, said Amanda. But you did help us get out. We can never thank you enough for that. Amber looked up and smiled. Us? Uh, I see David, Amanda, Amber. Where's Chandra? More memories jumped into his mind. The pram hitting the rock, Chandra falling. She sank to the bottom. They found a rock. He fell back in. Where's Chandra? He felt panic rising within. Right beside you. Amber pointed to his left. It hurt to turn his head. It seemed like he could feel his bones. Even his bones ached. Chandra smiled at him from within her own bundle of blankets. She held a cup in her hands. She had steady hands. Thanks, man, Chandra said softly. I would have died if you hadn't head on to me. I can't swim. Martin wanted to ask why in the world she agreed to get into a small overloaded boat on a rough river at night, knowing she couldn't swim. Eh, But it wasn't the time to be snarky, however. Everyone was safe. The three women were free from the potential fate of Acero's sex slaves. That was the price for the medicines. The medicine! Martin sat up in a panic. For Margaret! Where's my ammo box? He looked left and right. All he could see was darkness, driftwood, and trash. Don't worry, said David. It's still in the boat, pulled up on shore. We took on some water, but your box should have kept things dry inside. Your rifle got wet, so you'll have to do whatever it is you do to dry it out. One good thing is this little nook we landed on has lots of driftwood. The bits up higher are really quite dry. We used the fire-making stuff in your pack to get it going. Uh, didn't think you'd mind. His pack? Apparently, it had not gone overboard with him. Well, that was good. He would need to change out of his wet clothes. Looking down between the edges of the blanket, he could see that he was already in different clothes. I'm, I'm wearing a woman's sweater? Martin muttered to himself. Oh, yeah, began Amanda. We definitely had to get you out of your wet clothes. You had spare socks and underwear in your pack, but... uh, Underwear? Martin realized what that meant. Amanda chuckled. (laughs) We're medical professionals. Don't fret over it. You needed to be in all dry things. You just didn't have any spare pants and shirts. We barely had enough dry things of our own to change into. Mine and Amanda's clothes were too small, said Amber. Chandra had her spare clothes in a double zippy bag, so they were still dry. Hers fit you? She handed him a cup of tea. While shaky, he was able to control it. Uh, Wait, thought Martin. If I'm wearing her dry clothes, what is she wearing? He glanced over at Chandra. Her eyes quickly glanced away. She pulled her blankets closer up around her neck. They had put her only change of dry clothes on him, perhaps because he was more hypothermic than she was. He felt guilty wearing her only clothes while she went naked. Martin shook off the mental images. You, you were, 
we're on that, that rock, Martin stammered to Chandra. I, I lost my grip. I held on. Martin smiled slightly. He had joked with himself before that rescuing women would get him killed some day. It very nearly did this time. We heard you come up and gasp for air, Amanda said. We were floating not far behind you. We bumped into the same big rock and felt Chandra as we tried to push away. We pulled her back in the boat. We paddled around looking for you. If it hadn't been for that red light in your pocket, your wet shirt let some light through, interjected Amber. We could see a faint and blurry spot of red out on the river, said Amanda. It wasn't easy to get you back in the boat, said David. He placed several craggy pieces of driftwood on the fire. Sparks floated up into the black sky. It took all four of us to haul you out of the river. Once we did, Amber noticed the outlines of the stadium lights, so we paddled toward them. This nook was a gap in the tree line. I think it used to be a boat landing. Need to get home, Martin tried to stand. His legs ignored him. Get medicine to Margaret. Not yet, not yet. Amanda gently pushed him back down. You won't have the strength to walk for a while. It's still night. I'm not sure where Mr. Walsh and his men are. This landing is below the river bank. They may not find us until morning. For now, you need to warm up. Need to get home, Martin repeated. This time his attempt to stand caused him to topple sideways. Now, now, don't be a naughty patient. You're going to have to just sit still, scolded Amanda. David helped her get him seated in front of the fire again. Besides, hypothermia suppresses your immune system. It's really not a good idea for you to go back to living in a house with strong MRSA colonies. Martin sat glowering into the fire. He wanted to get his medicines home as quickly as possible. Yet he also realized that he had only two out of the three pieces he needed. Connie couldn't start her treatment until she had all three. If getting these two had been this rough, he didn't relish the thought of what the third piece might demand. He fell asleep, sitting in front of the fire. You people aren't supposed to be down there, shouted a male voice. Martin looked up the scrubby embankment. A stocky man in a small brimmed hat leaned over the steel guardrail. He was backlit by a medium blue-gray sky. No one is allowed to live on the riverbank, the man shouted. I'm going to tell the militia. It was a threat to tattle, like an older sibling might use. David arose from lying near the fire that had died down to just smoking coals. Have you seen Davy Walsh of the militia? David asked. Uh, we're looking for him. You are? Uh, he went south about an hour ago, uh, on a horse cart, said the man. Well, that's great. Uh, if you see him again, tell him, uh, tell him Martin is okay, David said. The man left, shaking his head. Amanda, Chandra, and Amber also began gathering themselves up from the little fetal positions they had slept in around the fire. Well, let's get packed up. No telling when they'll be back by here, said Amanda. Martin could see his backpack open and looking empty. 
The battered little pram sat on the trash-strewn sandy slope that met the water. He could see his ammo box and carbine inside the boat. A pair of mallards splashed and dabbled in the comparative calm of the nook in the shoreline. The night was over. The group's wet clothes hung draped over a couple of low branches. They were still very wet. Martin kept the blankets pulled tightly around his shoulders. His feet, clad only in his spare socks, were cold. His head was cold. Slight shivers began to return. The troop gathered up their belongings and trudged up the seldom-used road to the stadium staff's parking lot. The ammo box felt unusually heavy in Martin's hand. The carbine felt like a millstone around his neck. Pebbles in the parking lot made for uncomfortable walking in socks. They walked north along Commercial Street. They planned to wait at the terrace near the Granite Street Bridge, where they were supposed to land. Davy and Robert might return there. Hey, you're alive, called out Davy. He, Robert, and Jasmine rounded the corner at Granite and Commercial Streets. We'd given you all up for dead. We looked down the river all the way to Litchfield, but didn't find anything. We figured there should have been bodies or debris, at least, added Robert. We didn't see anything. That made us think you hauled out someplace. Yeah, it's a long story, said Martin. I'll tell you on the way home. Martin hefted his ammo box onto the trap's package shelf. Yeah, we need to get back to Cheshire. Well, who are all these other people? Davy asked David. Oh, that's a long story, too, said David. Martin waved over his shoulder as Robert got the trap turned around. Thanks, Docs, for the medicine. Good luck finding the rest of it, said Amanda as she waved. Chandra fixed her gaze onto Martin's eyes and smiled a wry, enigmatic little smile. Martin smiled back. Almost dying together creates an odd sort of bond. I'm glad you're alive and all, said Robert. He steered Jasmine up Granite Street. I was going to be angry at you for keeping me up all night, looking for you. But from the looks of your face, I'd say you had a way rougher night than I did. What? Why? Martin felt his face. His forehead had a lump on it, covered with a rough patch that stung when he touched it. Oh, yeah, I kind of hit a rock. Scratches along his cheeks and temple also stung when he touched them. And I kind of had a fight with a guy. His fingertips were greasy. The doctors had used some of the ointment from his backpack. Wake up, said Robert. You're home. Martin slumped forward, nearly falling off the trap's bench. Huh? Uh, already? Well, what already? We've been on the road for an hour and a half. You just slept through most of it. You still owe me a long story, by the way. Jen's going to ask me what happened in Manchester, and I darn well can't tell her I don't know. Oh, right. Martin slid off the trap onto unsteady legs. He pulled his ammo box, rifle, and bundle of wet things off the shelf. Oh, tomorrow, maybe. I'm still exhausted. Yeah, we are too, said Robert. I'm glad we can help get medicine for Margaret, but me and Jasmine are beat. We're going to go home and sleep. You should too. He flicked the reins. Jasmine plodded slowly down the road with none of her usual enthusiasm. Oh, Mr. S., Mr. S., you're home. 
shouted Lucas. He ran toward Martin for two steps and then had second thoughts and ran back to the house. He's home! Mama! Papa! He's home! Connie ran down the front stairs, all smiles, until she got a look at Martin. Oh my God, Martin! What happened to you? Those look bad. She began to reach out to touch his sores. Uh, no, no, Martin held his hands up as he backed up. The doctors say my immune system might be weak for a few days. You're probably covered in MRSA. Doctors? Connie retracted her arms, hiding her hands in her armpits. Yeah, long story. One was the Dr. Rowlett you sent me to see. I got the peptaz, by the way. He set the ammo box in front of her. Uh, but I got hypothermia in the process, hence the blankets. They said I should avoid contact with the house and possible MRSA for a few days at least. Give my open sores maybe longer? That's probably a good idea. But where are you going to stay? I would think your whole house could be a risk. Martin sighed. He hadn't thought the ramifications through. He glanced at the white shed between the driveway and the road. Andy and Trevor haven't been in the house lately, have they? Uh, I don't think so, said Connie. They seem to keep to themselves. Uh, you'd have to ask Kylos or Dustin for sure. They're out on patrol not right now, though. Well, when they do come back, send Dustin down. Martin turned toward the shed. I need to warm up and rest. Oh, hey, good morning, Mr. S., said Andy in a too cheerful voice. Morning? Martin turned on his side to see the window. He expected that it would be midday or afternoon. The golden sun painted the treetops outside. He looked down to see that he was lying on a folded mover's blanket as an impromptu mattress. He had several other blankets on top of him. Oh, yeah, continued Andy. Oh, you crashed beside my little wood stove yeah, as soon as you got in. Yeah, you probably didn't remember me telling you all about my first solo patrol or anything. <laughs> yeah, you slept all day, and last night, too. Nurse Constance says that you should get a lot of sleep, and keep as warm as possible without anything from the house, because of uh, the germs and your chewed-up face. Oh, oh, I'm not judging, of course, hey? You should see the other guy, right? Andy chuckled. No, he's dead. Oh, oh. Andy's smile collapsed. He focused his attention, stirring something in a skillet atop the little wood stove. Have you heard how Margaret is doing? Martin asked. He propped himself up on one elbow. Well, Nurse Constance says she's holding her own, yeah, sort of. Uh, she said that usually things get worse really quickly, uh, but the herbal stuff seems to make things not get so worse so really fast. Uh, that's good, right? Uh, I took it as good, in a not-so-worse-yet-also-not-so-better sort of way. Uh, but Nurse Constance says you shouldn't be exposed to anything from the house on account of those germs. So, Trev and I have been freestyling it out here in the cabin of eternal awesomeness. As a uh, culinary proof of our awesomeness, I'm cooking us up a little breakfast. Trev's out on patrol. We got our first dibs on the chicken eggs, on account of you being our royal guest. The chickens are laying really good now, except for that one mean one. Oh, she took a nip at me. Uh, yesterday... Trev hunted down some of them delicious mushrooms. I showed him what to look for. I sliced them up. I sliced up some daylily tubers. Oh, you've got a ton of those, by the way. And uh, did you know that you got a whole big patch of wild leeks growing out in the stream bed right out back? <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? 
oniony goodness. So, I'm going to have you a hearty breakfast scramble here in just a few. Martin sat up to face the wood stove and warm up. The sautéed eggs did smell delicious. He tried to remember the last time he ate, or even what he ate. Yeah, I was thinking it'd be pretty cool to have you stay in here in the cabin OEA with us. Kind of like sleepover, you know? An all-boys version of a slumber party? Hey, yeah, we tell each other ghost stories with a flashlight shining up under our chin and stuff. But you kind of took the sleep part of the sleepover a little too seriously, Mr. S. Yeah, I tried to wake you up for a snack or something, but you just moaned something about black water. You were flailing and grabbing at stuff. Trev and I had to hold you down until you went limp. Eh, who's Chandra, by the way? Huh? Oh, someone I, I met in Manchester. Martin looked down at his chest. He was still wearing Chandra's clothes. Oh, uh-oh, said Andy. Yeah, awkward silence. Yeah, I was wondering why you showed up wearing a girl's sweater and sweatpants. I mean, yeah, well, he never struck me as a mauve kind of guy yeah, in the first place. Certainly not with scalloped edging and little pink hearts. But I'm not going to say anything, because, uh, well, you know, true confessions in the cabin stay in the cabin. So, yeah, you can tell me, Mr. S. Did you see any of the sparky plasma with this Chandra? What? No, she fell in the river, and I... Saying that he saved her seemed a bit too boastful. He nearly died of compulsive rescue disorder, again. That was nothing to boast about. Uh, she couldn't swim, and I helped her, uh, not to drown. She had some dry clothes that I could borrow. Oh, hey, that's kind of a relief, you know, said Andy. I mean, you've already got a soulmate and all. His brow furrowed in thought. Unless, of course, the, uh, the plasma shifted to... Martin shook his head. Andy, real love is a choice. A deliberate commitment, not some energy wave that comes and goes. Andy looked puzzled, wheels turning. So, uh, you're wrestling with a bear for uh, Mrs. S., huh? Andy set a plastic plate of scrambled eggs and greens in Martin's lap. Except her bears like a million invisible little micro-bears. The analogy fit. Martin nodded as he relished the warm food. Although your face looks like you were kind of going full jitsu on a real bear, well, well, no offense. Andy smiled as she shoved a too big bite of eggs into his mouth. Ninety percent of it made it in. Martin chuckled, but his smile faded. His mind turned to his next mission, finding the other antibiotic. Uh, to beat that bear, I'm going to need to find some meropenem, and soon. That's what those constantly were saying all day yesterday, Andy said with his mouth full. Of course, you wouldn't know it because <laughs> you were sleeping. Andy picked bits of egg from his beard and ate them. Oh, those trucker brothers left yesterday for the seacoast uh, to get more fish. She told them to ask about that Merropenem stuff while they were there, uh, maybe up in Portsmouth. Martin stared into the corner. If CMC had turned out to be a source for remnants of industrial medicine, perhaps another big hospital might be the last piece of the puzzle. Concord had a large hospital. If not them, maybe Dartmouth-Hitchcock? Those would be long journeys. Was there time for that? That was a fairly short episode, but that's how Chapter 15 is in the book. A bit shorter than usual. So, back to the no-ad subscription thing. 
For those of you who really don't like the ads, I've created another subscription tier on Patreon, cleverly called the Ad-Free Access tier. Once you're on my Patreon page, click on the Memberships link to see it. For a buck fifty a month, you can listen to the story without the ads and without my usual plumping for a virtual cup of coffee at the end. There are a couple of other audio files in there, too, just for fun. For listening on the go, the no ads version is available on Spotify. Search for Siege, comma, no dash ads, and it should come up. While I've tested things as much as I can, they won't let you subscribe to your own podcast, but I think it's up and running okay. I've loaded up all of the previous chapters of Book 5 and will upload the new chapters both to here on Podbean with the ads and the no ads version at the same time. If you're already a patron on Patreon, the no ads version is included in your existing subscription. Again, I can't test how that might work for you, but that's what they tell me. So there you have it. Check it out. Let me know what you think.